Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Listen now for God's word to us. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. So as you, you may or may not know, one of the interesting things about the book of Acts is that it was likely written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So it's kind of a continuation of Luke's Gospel story, detailing the, the life of the, the apostles and the church in the absence of Christ after the ascension. So Luke, our author, picks up basically where he ended his previous work, at the ascension of Christ. He opens the book by reminding the reader about his previous book, in which he wrote, all about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the Gospel of Luke, it's really interesting. It ends with this very brief description of Jesus' ascension. There's not a whole lot of details to it. We're simply told that Jesus led his disciples from Jerusalem to Bethany. He blessed them and then was lifted up into heaven. That's it. The disciples then returned to Jerusalem with great joy, Luke says. So as he opens this new book, this new work, he, he decides instead to, rather than kind of continuing from that point, he decides to provide a little bit more detail about the ascension, the thing he kind of just barely talked about in, in the other book. And in this account, the disciples, we hear this whole conversation, right? The disciples ask Jesus about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel surely expecting that this is the time when God will right the wrongs of history and restore the kingdom of Israel to her proper glory. They have, they've known, these disciples, they've known for quite some time that this Jesus is the long-awaited and expected Messiah. He is the one they've been waiting for. And now that he's been raised from the dead, well, now he's finally going to start acting like the Messiah, right? Finally, God will, will bring down the heavenly host and, and strike down the powers that be. Finally, 
We can pull out our swords and take back what's rightfully ours. It's amazing, isn't it, that after all this time, after all they've been through with Jesus, watching His life, watching His ministry, watching His crucifixion, they still don't get it. They still completely miss the point and expect the Messiah to be something different than what Jesus actually is. They expect perhaps a return to power of God's chosen people who had been living for centuries in subjugation under empire after empire after empire. Now little did they know that God had a very different idea of the type of power that they would soon experience. The power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which is where all of this is leading. Now Jesus tells them, you will receive power when the Spirit comes, and that they will be transformed into witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, it's no coincidence that the Greek word for witness is the word from which we derive our word for martyr. For that is precisely what they would soon become. The power they would receive from the Holy Spirit would not be like the power of Rome. It would not be power displayed in imperial might or coercive force. It would be the power to resist the demonic, seductive forces of empire and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the executed revolutionary who refused to stay dead, and to proclaim this good news even at the risk of death. It's amazing what can happen to people when they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we're not at Pentecost just yet, so we need to... Not, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, right? Our liturgical calendar wants us to slow down a bit before we get too fired up. And after all, we're Presbyterian, so everything decent and in good order. Now perhaps this is also an opportunity for us to remember how we, much like the disciples, so consistently miss the point. We so consistently uh, miss what, what Jesus is actually doing in our midst because we don't always allow ourselves to be filled up by the Holy Spirit. Now, the scene here that Luke portrays is actually quite funny, if you think about it. Jesus is being lifted up on a cloud into the heavens. The disciples are looking up and watching the show, as you would expect. I mean, it's completely understandable to want to see this happen. I mean, after all, they're, they're watching their beloved teacher, the one that, that they thought was previously dead and who had come back to life now he's being taken up into heaven on a cloud. It's pretty captivating stuff. And then, as they're enthralled by this scene of what's unfolding in front of them, suddenly these two men appear without explanation. These men, probably angels, we would assume, <laughs> they ask the disciples, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Does this not strike you as a ridiculous question? Why do you look to heaven? Why do you look to heaven? The answer is obvious, right? Jesus is ascending. This is a huge moment. This is must-see TV right here. But these, these men or these, these angels, whoever they are, they show up to redirect the attention of the disciples who stand in awe. This is a pivotal moment for the life of the church. It's this pregnant moment of deep longing, hopeful anticipation 
and profound confusion. The disciples stand there thinking, well, now what? Watching their Lord, their teacher, their dear friend being taken up into heaven on a cloud like the prophets of old. This must have been a moment of incredibly confused emotions. At once, an experience of pure transcendence, witnessing firsthand God doing something amazing, while also feeling this deep sense of loss. He's, he's really gone now. He, we don't get to be with him anymore. He's not dead, but, but he's gone. He's not with us. It's hard to get a sense of, of what, what must have been going through their minds at this, at this bittersweet moment, how their hearts must have been churning. I wonder how long they stood there before the angel showed up. I wonder if they just kept staring into heaven even after Jesus was long gone, just looking up in complete shock, completely dumbfounded, bewildered. What next? Where do we go? What are we supposed to do now? So they just stand there, looking up to heaven. And it's at this moment of sheer bewilderment that these men suddenly show up and say, why do you look up toward heaven? It's a bit insensitive, don't you think? But perhaps what these angels are doing is helping to refocus the disciples on the task at hand, trying to redirect their gaze from the vertical to the horizontal to the work that they have left to do. Jesus is gone. He'll be back. But in the meantime, it's time for us to get to work. It's time for us to get back to doing the work of the kingdom that Jesus began. Immediately after this, they returned to Jerusalem to regroup, fill the vacancy that was left by by Judas the betrayer. And then comes Pentecost, of course, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that empowers this ragtag crew of misfits and perennial misunderstanders to do these amazing things, things they could not have done before. Their energy becomes reoriented from focusing on what's happening in heaven to what they have to accomplish here on earth, their mission, their purpose, their calling. And as a church at large, I think we're in a similarly liminal place as the disciples were, stuck kind of in this in-between place. You know, we've, we've done our best to be faithful, you know, going, going along, doing what we feel the Lord is calling us to do, but sometimes it can feel like Jesus has left us in some sense. We can feel somewhat lost, somewhat dumbfounded. It's no secret that across our culture, the church is in a state of decline. Many continue to lament the loss of the church's social cachet. So many churches are in these kind of redevelopment phases, seeking to faithfully discern a new way forward. There's this palpable tension between what the church has been for so long and what it might need to become in order to remain vibrant. We're in a time of transition. And in times of transition like this, it's easy to get stuck just looking up to heaven. All right, God, what next? Where do we go from here? And it makes sense, I think, that we would react this way. Like the disciples, we may not know where to go or what to do next. Like the disciples, we might be a little bit dumbfounded. We might need to regroup a bit. 
So we look up, the only place we know to look. And then suddenly we hear the question, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? The question was a reminder to the disciples that just because Jesus is gone doesn't mean it's over. This is not the end. In fact, this is the beginning for you. It's also a reminder for us, I think, that God is not done with the church. There is so much left to be done if we are willing to open ourselves up to how the Spirit is moving among us and through us. It's no accident that as soon as Pentecost is over, the first thing they do is go and heal a man who was uh, born crippled, crippled from birth. So the disciples, now enlivened and filled by the Holy Spirit, pick up right where Jesus left off, doing the exact same things that Jesus was doing. They get back to the work of the kingdom. The angels also remind the disciples that Jesus will come again, that though the loss they feel is very, very real, it will not last, because Christ will have the last word. So now we stand in this in-between place. We know that in Christ, the kingdom is already in our midst, but it's not yet fully here, not fully realized. So we wait. We expect. We hope. We hope against hope that the Lord will return and will right all of our wrongs. As the author of Revelation envisions, it, it will be a time when God will wipe away the tears from all of our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will have been vanquished. A day when God will make all things new. So we wait for that day and we yearn for it. But the waiting that we're called to is not a passive waiting. We're not called to stand around staring up into heavens, into the, into heaven and waiting to be taken up into the clouds. Outside the walls of this sanctuary is a broken and hurting world. Many of us have our own pains that we brought into this place, a world that so desperately needs to hear the good news of life that Christ offers, the world for which Christ died, the world that God so loved that he sent his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So as we leave this place and go out into this broken world, let us go with a passion for the work of the kingdom that Christ is calling us to. Let us remember to live now, to participate in the building of God's kingdom in this place by the power of the Spirit so that this world may slowly but surely begin even in small ways, to resemble the next. So why do we stand looking up toward heaven? God doesn't need us to accomplish God's plan. But out of grace, sheer grace, God chooses to allow us to be a part of the coming of the kingdom. So let us go out, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and participate in what Paul and others call the reconciliation of all things. Let us go out and share the good news that through Christ we are able to experience eternal life here and now and beyond. 
like those confused and bewildered disciples, let's continue the work that Christ began. Let's proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God already in our midst. Amen.